Have a seat, have a seat. And good morning. Good morning. Worship was absolutely incredible. Thank you so much, the team leading us. Give them a hand. Thank you so much. Lord, a hand. Well, if you have a Bible, we're going to be continuing our study of the Sermon on the Mount. We're going to be looking at, uh, sorry, Sermon on the Mount, where am I? We're going to be continuing our study on the Great Commission, and uh, we're going to, so if you have a Bible, jump to Matthew chapter 28, Matthew chapter 28, that's where we're going to be. I'm going to read the text for us. We have read it the past two weeks, and so you should be able to memorize it pretty soon here, Um, and then we will jump in, speaking specifically uh, the topic of baptism. It says this, Matthew chapter 28, starting in verse 18. And Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. And the phrase we will be focusing on is this, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for your word. And thank you, Jesus, that you left heaven to come to earth And you left heaven to come to earth so that you might make a new family, that you might give us a new identity, and you might make us into your people. So Lord, I pray that as we uh, look at what baptism is, that you would help us to uh, evaluate where we are. Have we been adopted into your family? Have we believed in you for the forgiveness of our sins? And are we living a life that is in line with your design in the world? So Lord, I pray that you would guide our times, guide our hearts, so that we could more and more be your people, so we can do the things you're calling us to do. We ask this in Jesus' name, <clears throat> amen. Well, when I went to college, uh, it was interesting visiting uh, colleges, and between my junior year of high school and my senior year of high school, that was the summer that I went to visit different universities. And, and the funny part about visiting different universities is that everyone kind of gives their uh, reason your, why you should join their group. Uh, and so I would go to like TCU, I went to SFA, I went to uh, Texas State, which was Southwest Texas at the time, back in the day. Uh, visited University of Texas, visited A&M, so visited all these different schools all around Texas, and, and everyone was kind of giving their reason for why you should join their university. The benefits of being a lumberjack, or a horned frog, or a bear, or a longhorn, or an Aggie, and so everyone's kind of given their benefits and their spiels as to why you should join their thing, and, and what's hilarious about that whole process um, of, of visiting all these different schools is, is the reasons they're giving that you should join their organization, and, uh, and what's hilarious is, I remember going to the University of Texas, and this is fine, this is where I, the one I ended up picking, but, but when I went to the University of Texas, I remember having the statement, um, yeah, we wear burnt orange. And it's an earth tone, so it goes with everything. And I'm like, I'm like, that's the selling point? Like, this is what you're trying to, trying to do for me? But what's hilarious is each organization, each thing, they have their own cheers or yells. They have their own songs. They have their own colors. They have their own mascots. They have their own little activities that show that you're part of the group. And as soon as you say yes to one of those organizations, as soon as you say, yes, I'm going to go to that place, I'm going to join that thing, there's an expectation that you will wear the colors, 
that you will go early, be loud, stay late if you go to Texas. If you're gonna go, you're gonna humble with the ags. If wherever you go, you're gonna sick and bear. You're gonna do your thing and that you're gonna embody the activities and enjoy that process of joining that group. The reason I start there is for this, is that, is that Christianity, they have some activities. They have some things of what it means to be people of God. And it is based on a decision. It is based on a decision to put your faith alone in Christ alone for the forgiveness of your sins. And if you have done that, there are things that we do as Christians. There are activities that we engage in. What does it mean to be a follower of Christ? Well, to be a follower of Christ means there are some things that we do alongside of it. We're looking at at, uh, the Great Commission. Jesus' statement to go make disciples of all nations baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe everything that he has commanded. Those are the, the qualities of what it looks like to be the people of God. And there's one imperative in that statement that we talked about last week, and it is to make disciples. Now, in order to make disciples, it means we have to go, and we looked at that last week. We need to go. We have to get out of our comfort zone in order to make disciples. But there's a second piece along the journey. There's a second part of what it means to be a disciple of Christ, and it centers on this idea of baptism. Baptism is is what um, some Protestants, what we Protestants call um, an ordinance. Um, The Catholic Church would call it a sacrament, but uh, as Protestants, we call it an ordinance. It does not bestow grace upon you, but it is a decision that, that Christians make to identify themselves with Christ. And so your faith, your faith in Jesus Christ, although it is personal, it's never meant to be private. Your faith in Christ is personal, but it's never meant just to be between you and God. And baptism is a public statement of an inward transformation. It's a public statement that we're saying that I am in, I believe that Jesus Christ died in my place for my sins, and now I'm part of the community. And so to answer the question, why baptism? What, what, what is, why is this part of Jesus' instruction? We're going to look at three movements this morning. The first is this, what is the phrase, but that who are they? Secondly, who are them in the text? is a terrible phrase, but that who are them in the text? And what is in a name? So the first defining, what is baptism? Well, baptism in, in, the, in the Bible is <clears throat> from the Greek word baptizo, which means to dip or to put under, or it could be used as dye to literally change the color of something. It's also used in some, um, in some translations even to describe the sinking of a ship or submersion of something. So the word baptize uh, is, is, is also in the New Testament described as a ceremonial cleansing. So it could be a ceremonial cleansing of, of, of dipping your hands under and cleansing them. But, it, but it's the basic idea of to immerse, to put under something. And so there's several definitions there. It's to, to put under, to dip, to, to, to even to dye something. And it's to, it shows a change. It shows a change of what was to what is. And, and so the definition just, just simply means to, to submerge, to dip. And that was the practice of the New Testament. Um, and, and Jesus was, the, was, was baptized by John the Baptist. At the beginning of John, uh, John the Baptist's ministry, John the Baptist was Jesus' cousin. And he comes preaching repentance, that everyone should repent. And they would go out to the River Jordan. They would follow John, this kind of crazed guy in the wilderness. And they would go out to him, and, and he would baptize people for repentance of their sins. And Jesus was, was watching John, and John really was the forerunner of Jesus. 
He was preparing the way for the coming Messiah. And Jesus goes out to John the Baptist and says, okay, I'm going to be baptized by you in Matthew chapter three, verse 17. It says it this way, verse 13. Then Jesus came to Galilee by the Jordan to John to be baptized by him. John would have prevented him saying, I need to be baptized by you and you come to me. But Jesus answered him, let it be so for now, for thus is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness that he consented. And when Jesus was baptized, immediately he went up from the water and behold, the heavens opened up and he saw the spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest on him. And behold, the voice of heaven said, this is my beloved son with whom I'm well pleased. Here's what's interesting. John the Baptist began baptizing people and it was to identify them with a new movement of God. And then Jesus says, yes, I'm coming under that new movement of God and I will be baptized like this, this statement that we, need to be re- that we need to repent of our sins and come to faith in God, come back to God. He says, I'm gonna be part of that movement and he puts himself in that movement and is himself baptized in the River Jordan. He says, I, and John can't even believe it. He's like, wait a minute, I don't need to baptize you. I mean, you're the holy one. Like, you are the lamb of God, he says in the Gospel of John, who takes away the sin of the world. You are the expected one. And, and Jesus says, no, I, I'm showing you a symbol that will be repeated by my people throughout all generations. I'm giving you an example, and I'm gonna be under this to be part of this movement of God. And then he commanded it at the end of the Gospel of, of Matthew. He says, I want all of you to be baptized. So what does it mean to be identified in this new group? This is part of, this is the step, that you would be baptized. And what we do as a church, the the particular baptism that we practice is by immersion. And if you go to our our website, uh, you can look and see what we believe about baptism. So I'm just gonna give you that statement here. It says this, we believe that baptism by immersion is for all those who have definitively placed their faith in Christ and are choosing to follow him. It was commanded by Jesus and identifies us with his death and resurrection. We believe in baptism, we practice baptism by immersion, identifying that we believe in Jesus Christ and we are following the pattern that Jesus Christ followed. So we, we believe in baptism, so, so that's what baptism is. The second question I want to answer is this, who are them? He says this, baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Well, who Who qualifies? Who are the people that should be baptized? Who are them? Well, if you look in context, and it's always important to read in context, he says this in verse 18. Jesus said to them, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So who are them? The them is the all nations. It's people from every tribe, tongue, and nation. It's the word, Greek word ethnos. It's, it's everyone, and it's everyone what? It's everyone who is becoming a disciple of Christ. It's everyone that is being made into a disciple. So what is a disciple? A disciple is someone who has put their faith in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of their sins. It's believers, is believers that have put their faith in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of their sins. In the book of Acts, it kind of defines this really well for us. Who are the first, belie- who are the first people that are baptized? I'm gonna run through some scriptures for you just to prove it to you. 
Acts 2, 41 says this. Those who received his word were baptized. Received the word means this, believed in the gospel. Acts 8, 12. When they believed, when they, but when they had believed Philip preaching the good news about the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, they were being baptized, men and women alike. You see everyone that believed in Jesus Christ being baptized. Acts 8, 36. As they went along the road, they came to some water and the eunuch said, now you're like, what? That's interesting. Well, there's an Ethiopian who uh, was speaking with, with one of the disciples, and he came to faith. And as, they, as he came to faith, as they're riding along, the person says, look, water, what prevents me from being baptized? And Philip said, well, if you believe in your heart, with all your heart, you may. And he said, I believe in Jesus Christ, the Son of God, and the order immediately stop the chariot and let's go be baptized. So you see this quality that, that those who believed, those who put their faith in Christ for the forgiveness of their sins, they're saying, okay, you are ready now to be baptized, to be identified with this new community. Acts 10, 40, uh, there's a bunch of little verses alongside, but, but Peter, as he's speaking these words to this Gentile congregation, they start um, receiving the Holy Spirit and immediately says, okay, now, now they ordered them to be baptized by Jesus Christ. So as soon as they had faith, as soon as they believed the words, they were immediately to be baptized. In Acts 16, 30, Paul is speaking to the Philippian jailer. Paul spent a lot of time in prison for preaching the gospel. And he's, as he's speaking to this jailer, the, the, the jailer comes to faith and he brings Paul to his family and then he preaches to his family and the whole household comes to faith and he begins baptizing them. Now, what's interesting, within that statement, it could be argued by some people to say, well, if it's a household, wouldn't it also include children that um, or maybe, even, maybe even infants and babies. And, and, and that's an argument from silence, not an argument from, from what's clearly defined in the text. The, the, the movement that you see through the book of Acts, is it's clear that someone would hear the gospel. They would hear the good news of Jesus Christ. They would believe with their mind. Like, this is true. I believe that Jesus Christ died in my place for my sins. And as a response to that belief, they would be baptized. So who are the them? It's, it's those who have put their faith in Jesus Christ. But also the them, it's also interesting, it's people from all nations. Like, th- there's no category that qualifies other than faith alone and Christ alone. It's people literally from all nations. See, it's supposed to be a unifying thing, not a dividing thing. People from every tribe, tongue, and nation putting their faith in Jesus Christ, and then that, when that happens, all of a sudden something becomes new. The ones that were separate become united to be a new family. And baptism is that symbol of a, of a new environment that you are in. So when, when I um, got married, my, my wife and I had dated for almost nine years before we got married. We started dating in high school, so we went for a long road on that. Parents, good luck talking to your kids about that later on. Started dating a long time, uh, but we got married, and, and it was an amazing time of planning and getting the rings, and, and, and the rings are, are so symbolic in that moment, and they're very, very important, both in engagement and in the moment on the wedding day, there's two rings that, um, that we give as, as a husband and wife. There's a ring that's given to the husband that's usually less flashy. And there's a ring that's given to the wife that's usually more flashy. 
And what we didn't do as a married couple is to say, you know what, it's been so awesome. Here, let's skip the ceremony, grab the ring, and let's move on. Like, let's skip the commitment, and let's just move on. And I'll just give you the ring, and we'll call it done. Why? Because the ring is not the relationship. The ring is a symbol of the commitment. In a similar way, baptism, it doesn't save us. Baptism symbolizes what we are now identified with. It shows what we're now a part of. And so when, we get, when I, she gives that ring to me and I give that ring to her, it establishes this commitment, this bond. I am committing myself to you. Baptism, in a similar way, is a symbol of many things that, have, that happen but once you put your faith in Christ alone. Let me give you some passages. Romans uh, 6, verse 3 through 4 says this. Or do you not know that all of us that have been baptized into Christ have been baptized into his death? Therefore, we have been buried with him through baptism and death in order that as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. One symbol that baptism shows us is this, and it unifies people from all nations. It's this, that it symbolizes total identification with Christ and his death and burial and resurrection. That's what Romans is saying. All of us that have been baptized into Christ have been baptized into his death. It's a symbol that, look, you are now no longer who you used to be. And the, one of the beautiful pictures of baptism that we have is, is that we take someone and we, we dunk them in water and we pull up, symbolizing burial and resurrection. And the reason we practice this is, is that symbol is showing that, that just like Christ was died and rose from the death, from death, those who put their faith in Jesus Christ, their old self with sin and issues are dead, they are buried, they are no longer on you, and you can be raised to walk in newness of life. It's a symbol of what you've received in Christ, salvation, forgiveness of sins, and the ability to live a new life free from all the baggage. Secondly, baptism symbolizes our identification with Christ's church. 1 Corinthians 12 says it this way, for by one spirit we were all baptized into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or free, we were all made to drink of one spirit. And what's, what's so great about that text is that the Corinthian church and the, the, the ethnic issues that were going on there, they, they were ones that divided. They divided by race. They divided by ideology. They divided by all sorts of identities. And what he's saying is this. Baptism, that decision to be in Christ and that public declaration of I am new in him demonstrates that what was separate is brought together. There's no longer slaves nor free. There's no more Jews or Greeks. Everything that divided us previously, socioeconomically, um, all the issues, racially, socially, all of those divisions are put aside when we are now in Christ. We have a higher allegiance than everything else. And as Christians, we have a higher allegiance than whatever barriers divide us. We are not divided by Republican or Democrat, Canadian or USA, or whatever the dividing lines might be, Aggies or Longhorn. We're like, none of those things divide us. Why? Because we have a higher allegiance. It is not to those little things. It's to Christ alone. He says all those things, and we are one church 
And thirdly, baptism symbolizes the cleansing of our sin. 1 Peter 3, 19 says it this way. It says, baptism now corresponds to this. And baptism now saves you. Now, 1 Peter 3 has been a highly debated passage. Wait a minute, baptism saves you? Now, what does that mean? Keep reading. Not as a removal of dirt from the body, but as an appeal to God for a good conscience through the resurrection of Christ Jesus. He says, baptism saves you. Now, now, not, not the act of water being washing on you, but a call to God for a new heart, a cleansed spirit, a call to God. God, save me from who I am. And so it's not the removal of dirt that, that saves you. It's, it's that identification that you are now in Christ and raised to walk in newness of life. You are in him and you are cleansed from all of your sin. Baptism is a symbol of what God does in you. It unifies us. So who are the them? It's everyone who believes. And it's everyone that's now brought into this new family. And the third piece, the third piece I'm gonna spend a little bit more time on is this. What is the name? He says, I want everyone who comes to be baptized in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Well, what is in that name? Why is that so significant? Well, what we have here is a new authority and a new family. For those of you that are in Christ, you have a new authority and a new family. As Christians, we believe in a triune God. We believe that God eternally existed in three persons, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And if you're ever wondering, like, okay, is there anywhere in the Bible that actually shows that? Like if someone asks, like, okay, can you see the Trinity in Scripture? One of the great passages is to look at the one we looked at earlier in Matthew chapter 3. Because you see it at Jesus' baptism. Jesus goes unto the water. God the Son goes into the water. The Spirit comes down like a dove. And then the Father speaks, this is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. You see a picture of the Trinity. We are in relationship with a triune God. And that is so significant. That's so significant because a trinity that always existed shows this, that love precedes power. That relationship is at the foundation of all of creation. See, if God was mono, if he was one, love would be contingent because love requires an object, it requires another. But because God is triune, he's three, that means from the, from the foundation of, of eternity, What always existed was a triune, relational, loving God. And you see that in how the the Trinity talks about itself. The Son says, it's gonna be better if I leave because the Spirit's coming. The Father says, this is my beloved Son, listen to him. The Son says, "This is I only do what the Father is doing, I only say what the Father is saying. You see this beautiful triune relationship from the foundation of creation. And he says, yes, and you are then put into that new authority. And there's something that's beautiful about authority. There's something beautiful about the name of of God, the Father, Son, and Spirit. It means that you are under him and he has you. It means you're with him and he is protecting you. Some of us give authority, um, are, are frustrated when we hear that word authority. Because you've been in environments where authority has been hurtful to you and not loving to you where authority has hurt you 
and not helped you thrive. And I would just say this, that's not a problem with authority, it's a problem with that authority. But when you're in God, when you're in Christ, his authority comes in a way that doesn't push you down, it pulls you up. It gives you a new identity and it gives you a new authority that you can love him and serve him, but he puts you additionally into a new family. It's a relationship that brings you in close. John 3.16 says this, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever should believe in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Ephesians 2, for by grace you have been saved through faith, that not of your own doing is a gift of God, not as a result of works so that no one can boast. You see the, the quality of love that God has? He says, first of all, I, he so loved the world that he gave. So you have a father that gives, not a father that takes. You have authority that, that it is looking to, to bring you in and to build you up, not to beat you down and to, and to cast you aside. He wants you to bring in relationship with him. It's a new authority, which is part of a loving family. And it's by grace you've been saved through faith that not of yourselves. Salvation is a gift not of the result of works. So there is no boasting. There is no one that can stand before God and said, I'm so glad you let me in. God says, I let you in because I loved you and you're part of this new family. And those pieces together, this new authority and new family, they give you a new identity. And the reason this is so significant, baptism is a public identification with Christ as your father, or God as your father, Christ as your propitiation for your sins, and you are now in that family. And he says this, this identity transcends every culture and every time and every place. See, there's two types of um, ways that you can form an identity. And Tim Keller in his book, um, Making Sense of God has a chapter on it called Identity Formation. And there's two ways you can make an identity. There's traditional cultures and there's more modern cultures. Traditional cultures would say this, your identity is based on uh, your adherence to your family. That you would do the things that, were, that your family wants you to do. Uh, Tim Keller gives an example of, of, of his father who grew up as a, um, his father who grew up in, in Italy. And his father growing up in Italy basically just did the things that his, his family did. He, he could only have the occupation um, of, as a potter because that's what his family did. And so in traditional cultures, it means like your, your value is based on doing what your family wants you to do. And for many of us, as we look at the traditional culture, for some of us, that, that sounds suffocating. Like I can't, I can't have an identity outside of what my family or parents have told me to do. And that identity can actually feel suffocating. And so in America, we have a different view of identity. Our identity is not based on traditional values. Our, our identity is based on uh, what's called um, uh, individualism. And it's basically this, I can create my own self. I want to create my own value. And here's kind of the, the framework that we give it. Our culture tells us that we have the power to create ourselves that puts emphasis on independence and self-reliance. But it also means that society adulates the winners 
and despises the losers and shows contempt for the weak. So in modern culture, we say, yeah, you can be self-made. You can be a self-made man or a self-made woman. And that identity is about your construction. And so either you feel great because you won or you, become, you feel terrible because you lost. He actually writes, it's fascinating, he says, the self-made identity based on our own performance and achievement in ways that older identities were not, it makes self-worth far more fragile in the face of difficulty. I want you to think about this past year, the challenges that you have faced. Maybe it's a challenge in business. Maybe it's been a challenge in your marriage. Maybe it's been challenged with your kids. In an individualistic society, your worth is based on what you can achieve. So your worth is based on, hey, is my marriage being held together well? Am I succeeding in my career? Do my kids look great? And all of us can be on that same weird treadmill of our culture saying, I'm trying to keep up. I'm trying to prove I'm something. And because that identity is one you have to achieve. And an achievement-based identity is crushing. In fact, that's what many sociologists are even studying right now. They said this, the modern self is crushing because it's based on success or achievement or some love relationship. And any of these things will jeopardize your identity if they're lost. If you lose them, you lose who you are. But in Christ... Here's what you have. You, you are loved. You are accepted without performance. In Christ, you have acceptance independent of your performance. In every other area of life, you are evaluated based on your performance. You see this in sports, and we even give this language, you're only as good as your last game. You see this in business, The statement, what have you done for me lately? Every other area in life, you have love only when you put out. But in Christ, you have acceptance that is independent of performance. You have a father that loves you, that is putting you into his family, that's based on nothing that you do. It's based on everything that he's done. And baptism is a symbol of that radical change that comes into the heart of a person. Secondly, you have a new family. You have a family without biology. For many of us, if you look at the past year, the past month, the past several years, this issue is is the pain point for you. Because maybe you've lost a spouse. Maybe you've lost a mother. Or you've lost a father. Or you've lost a son. Or you've lost a daughter. And that loss creates a tremendous hole within you, and it should. Death is not God's design. It is a product of a fallen world. And God promises one day to redeem everything, but he also gives us something in the middle of it. He gives you a new family. I want you to just take a moment and look across the room. Catch someone's eye. It'll be awkward. It'll be great. Catch someone you don't know. Just keep looking. Keep looking. You see different ages. You see different races. Praise God. You see different socioeconomic statuses. 
You see different genders. You see a lot of people that are very different than you. And that's beautiful. You know what that is? It's your family. That's your family. It's your family in Christ. And and let me just tell you this. Whether you like the person beside you or not, if they have put their faith, faith in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of their sins, you will be with them forever. So you might as well start loving them now and all their imperfections and it'll just be easier to love them longer in the future. But that's your new family. It's a family without biology. One of the things I love doing is, is going on mission trips overseas. And when I get to interact with people from different cultures, I remember uh, one point I went to the Dominican Republic and interacted with some folks there and, and we were so different in so many ways. But I remember speaking with this one man as he starts talking to me about his faith and his family and the things that God is doing in his life. And I'm like, oh my gosh, I feel like we are so close. I feel like your God is the same as my God. I feel like your father is my father. And although we had spent no time together other than this one little week at camp, it was like, yeah, we're part of the same family. In Christ, you're brought together. It's family without biology. And lastly, it's eternal relationship. When you lose your job, those relationships often go away. High school students, you may have the best friends of your life right now in that moment, but many of those relationships will go away once you walk across that stage and move on. Whatever sports team you've been a part of, whatever rotary club you've joined, what often happens is once you step out of that group, you lose those relationships. In Christ, those relationships never go away because God will never leave you or forsake you. And he promises to save you and holds you for eternity. Baptism is a symbol of all that you get in Christ. And it is a beautiful, unifying moment to say, yes, this is my new family. So I'll give you a couple questions to close. First is this, have you put your faith alone in Christ alone for the forgiveness of your sins? Not that you're a good person, Not that you've done some good things. Not that you go to Bible study, although those are all great things. But have you put your faith alone in Christ alone for the forgiveness of your sins? Secondly, have you been baptized? Have you stated publicly that I believe that Jesus Christ died in my place for my sins? We want to give you an opportunity. If you go to our app, you can go to our our app. It's in the app store, Bayou City Fellowship, Tomball. And there is a, a, a link you can click right there on our app to fill out a baptism application. For some of you parents, you're like, man, my, my son or my daughter has been talking about baptism. Can, can they be baptized? The answer is yes. Um, our children's ministry is gonna be doing a baptism class on May 23rd. More information will be coming soon. 
And we hope, our plan is to have a baptism Sunday on June 2nd here at the Tomball campus, celebrating, yes, they are part of the family of Christ. They're publicly claiming, yes, I am his. And thirdly, baptism is a public profession of what Christ has done in you. And so for some of you, it's gonna be that moment when you become baptized. But for others of you, it's gonna be that day-to-day walk. When you have those conversations with friends, family members, with neighbors, when you say, you know, I, I, wanna, I wanna talk about what Christ has done in me, the change that it's done in me, and I'm not gonna let my public proclamation be one moment of baptism, but a continual statement, yes, I'm his. I'm in Jesus' family. I'm part of that community, and he's never gonna let you go. Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for your word. Thank you that you've called us to be part of your family. Lord, thank you that you have died in our place for our sins, and you gave us a symbol, a moment, a decision to say, yes, I, I'm, I believe in you, and I want to be identified with you. And Lord, there's many of us that are in different spots along the spectrum of our faith walk. And I I pray that we would, if we have not been baptized, we would take that step to publicly declare, yes, I'm, I'm his. For others, they have not actually put their faith in Jesus Christ. They've put their faith in some activity for salvation. I pray that we would no longer do that. We would say, Lord, I'm, I'm trusting in you and you alone. For others of us, you're challenging us to actually share our faith with another. So Lord, I pray that you would give us the boldness and the confidence to share our faith. Our prayer team is gonna be up here in a moment. And there may be many things that God's been working in your heart during this time to have prayer for. One might be for salvation. For others of you, it's gonna be healing. There's something that's, that's, that's been hurting you. Maybe it's physical or emotional or spiritual. It's for healing. Or maybe it's for a loved one. Our prayer team is gonna be up here and we want to pray alongside you and walk with you. Because like it or not, we're here to be your family. Amen.